Welcome to the First Five Podcast. I am your host, Michael Corey, and I'm joined by my co-host, Drew Gotro. And today, for the first time ever on the First Five, we are going to have a returning guest. You know him. You love him. You remember him from the gala story. Please welcome to the podcast, Joshua Jordan. Yay! <laughs> I made yeah. it back, guys. <laughs> And this will be the last time. <laughs> I just had to show so much restraint because when you went to do, and I'm joined by my co-host, I was about to yell, Drew Gotro into the mic. <laughs> I wanted to steal his lines. <laughs> We're glad to have you back, man. Uh, you brought such a um, such an ease to our first podcast with a guest when you were here before. And of course, we had that great story to, del- to delve into, but it was just uh, going back and Having you know hosted twenty or so of these now, um, it, it is it is a whole lot easier for certain people. It's just easier to talk to certain people on mic, I think. Yeah, uh, but I wouldn't just say on mic. I'd, I'd say generally speaking, like if I'm having a tough time making small talk, I can always depend on you to strike up a conversation and pick the right topic, and it's just easy. Well, thanks. Yeah, I'm so happy. I had such a good time doing the first podcast with you guys. It was an honor to be a part of that. I'm genuinely such a big fan of the podcast. Mm. I was just telling Drew, this is really the only podcast I listen to consistently. Like I look forward to it every Monday, um, only because you mentioned me. That's the <laughs> I just love. As soon as you say my name, I'm done. But no, I'm just kidding. I love you guys. I love the podcast, and we, I'm happy to be back. We probably should have made it clear before asking you to read that um, that <laughs> you're not going to get paid for this. Oh. <laughs> I'm just going to (laughs) go. So something that I don't know if you necessarily just broadcast to anybody and everybody, uh, you don't drink, right? I do not drink. Yeah. And do you find that there are ever moments when you're at a gig and you're like, well, I kind of wish I could make an exception now, or is it just so easy now to just maintain what you're doing? So I, I haven't drank in almost a year now. I think in October will be exactly a year. So we're at that like 10, 11 month mark. So at this point, I feel like the compulsion to drink is completely gone. Mm -hmm. I don't ever see like a beer or a cocktail and I'm like, oh, I really want that right now. Right. Um, Which is interesting because for the longest time, I was a very heavy drinker Mm -hmm. for 10 years, really. From the time I was 18 to last year, I drank pretty much every night, very heavily. Uh, So it is weird. You hear people talk about sobriety and having clarity with their Mm -hmm. relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm at that point now. So I don't I don't have that uh, desire Mm -hmm. to drink, but I did for a very long time. So it's very weird. Didn't you kind of did the desire kind of go away in October? Like because you were doing sober October. Yeah. And then when it was over. It was I mean. I'm I'm asking a question. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah. trying to put words in your mouth. But didn't it, it wasn't that kind of what like you did sober October and then when it was over, it was kind of like, well, I don't really feel like drinking, so while yeah. I drink, like why 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 start again? Yeah, it was okay, so it was two things. So the sober October thing is interesting cuz I did that for 3 years in a row. And the first two times I did it, I would not drink for October. I had a friend who I did it, so you know, Uh, having someone hold you accountable. And also we try to incorporate the same way like Bert and Tom do a physical challenge. And I'm very competitive. So that kind of pushed me through the first two. Mm -hmm. Um, And my thing was running. So the first two times I did it, 
It was a month of sobriety, which was my only break in the year of drinking. And I just remember both times feeling really great. Like I was losing weight. Mm -hmm. I was sleeping better. My skin was clearing up. And then uh, October would end and I'd be like, back to being a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, well, that's done. Uh, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was just doing my my good for the year. So this last year for October, I knew I was going to do it again, but I was really like getting to a point where drinking was not enjoyable. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, have a drink after work to blow off steam. I was really in a routine where I was drinking because I felt like I was supposed to. Mm. Like they say that I'm not an expert, so I really can't explain it well. But the thing about addiction and if you do have that ism behind your name as some people call it is um you have once you become dependent on a substance it's like chemical receptors in your brain start prompting you to do certain behaviors Mm -hmm. so i would like not want to drink and then do it anyway that's Mm -hmm. where i was with it so i was going into october and i knew i had the ability to not drink because i had done it the last two years But the other thing that helped was I actually read a book called The Easy Way to Control Alcohol. It's written by Dr. Alan Carr. And genuinely, like, I don't talk about this much, but that book saved my life for sure. Because pretty much if you're struggling with an addiction, any reason you give yourself to drink, the book is designed to tell you why that reason is not valid Mm -hmm. and why it's not something you can use as a crutch anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think the combination of reading that book throughout the month and doing sober October and running and feeling good, I don't know. It just, it finally clicked for me after Mm -hmm. many times of trying to not drink anymore. Mm -hmm. And I've been, I've been good ever since. Yeah, man. It almost sounds like it's something that transcends breaking an addiction it almost kind of seems like you really went through uh, such a big change like do you feel like a different person now oh yeah yeah i just turned 29 and i was talking to my brother about it he was like how's it feel to be 29 because he's younger he's like you're almost 30 do you feel old and i was like no i feel like a lot better than i did at 24 and 25 i feel so rejuvenated Mm -hmm. and positive and my head is clear. And also like when I was drinking, you know, part of the stuff that goes hand in hand with that is anxiety and feeling depressed. So it's like putting a bandaid on a stab wound, right? Like you feel anxious or sad. So you drink, but the drinking just makes it so much worse ultimately. Sure. So yeah, I feel like definitely I kind of look back at a lot of those years and they feel like a blur. Right. Now, would you say that the principles, like, for example, they set up reasons in the book, like, okay, so these are all the kind of go-to reasons why somebody would be drinking in a problematic way, I assume, is, is, is what these reasons are tailored to. Are those reasons transferable to other things that people typically use the same way they would use alcohol, like people who uh, eat, you know, comfort eat, or maybe like, I don't know, I don't know if gambling is a good example, but... Yeah. Do you think that they're transferable or is it really like a tailor made book for people who drink? So it's interesting. The guy that wrote the book, like I said, his name is Dr. Alan Carr. And I don't know. I I think he has a bit of a reputation of people say he's like, oh, he he's about brainwashing and Mm -hmm. stuff. I would actually make the argument that it's the opposite. 
of brainwashing because in the book about alcohol, he kind of talks about how we're conditioned to, you know, drinking is associated with celebrating and positivity and stuff. But to answer your question, he actually has a series of books. Mm. He has one that helps you quit smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. He has one about caffeine, about, I think one about overeating as well. So mm. um, he seems to be like, I think he's a behavioral psychologist. Could gotcha. be wrong. I don't actually know. Uh, but yeah, he has a, a few different things. Mm-hmm. Now, Drew, uh, I think we were joking on one of our recent episodes about alcohol. Do you feel, do you ever feel like maybe like a sober like do you listen to this story and think like oh maybe i could or do you think like i don't have a problem with that because like i don't know i know i have a problem with some things i'm just curious like particularly with alcohol oh it would probably be better for like there could be healthier ways i could go about it Mm -hmm. like i have had times i have had times where like alcohol has been a problem Mm -hmm. and i usually just uh like I've I've made a lot of rules for myself because I like drinking and I don't want to have to stop. Right. So I make all these rules to keep it in check. Mm -hmm. And every now and then though, things will start to kind of, I'll catch it before it gets too crazy. You know, I'm older. I kind of know what to look for, Mm -hmm. but every now and then things like you will start to, uh, and I think Josh was kind of, kind of starting to hit on this, uh, talking about the book you will kind of start to like, I guess they call it bargaining. Like if you say like, I'm going to have, um, on the weekdays, I'm just going to drink like one tall boy in the afternoon and that's it. Right. And then you'll always find some kind of reason where it's like, Oh, well I'm getting in the pool though, or I'm barbecuing. So I'll get a six pack. Mm -hmm. And then, then it turns into, I'm getting a 12 pack. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, uh, Every now and then it will start to get to where I'll notice like, oh, I'm drinking a little bit more than I should. Time to pull it back. And it's it's it is a kind of a dangerous game I'm playing. Yeah. But I mean, it's. It's OK. I mean, I, I think at a certain point, if it would get to be. uh, If I really thought it would get to be too bad to where like physically I feel too bad or it's having too, if it's having like too much of a negative impact on my life, mm-hmm. then I would have to like sit down and really say, okay, we need to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. I think like a good distinction to make with stuff like that too, is like, I speak for myself personally, when it comes to things like that, I don't have any like impulse control. Mm-hmm. So to me, I look at Drew as someone who like enjoys to have a few beers after work. For me, like, there's never, I'm going to have a drink. It's like, if I drink, I'm getting blackout drunk. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to DoorDash ribs. And then Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. and then the next day I wake up and I feel bad. So now I'm in a cycle of feeling shitty all the time. Mm -hmm. So I make bad choices throughout the day. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's just like, I was putting myself in a very vicious cycle. So I think, like, people all have different relationships with alcohol. I just recognized pretty recently that mine was not sustainable like talking about bargaining with yourself it was like i would try to do that too but if i play the game where i'm like i'm just gonna have a drink tonight like it ends with me being yeah it's not a small completely drunk it's not a small adjustment yeah mine's a small adjustment like instead of one tall boy a six pack and then the incrementally it gets out of hand Yeah. yeah like what you're saying it just goes off the it gets out of hand instantly you know yeah and I, th- I think for me, 
I've got enough things in my life that are too important. You know, like I can't, I, I like to drink, but like, I can't get up in the morning and start. I mean, I do on like Saturdays and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. or like 4th of July, maybe. But uh, like, I've got shit to do. Yeah. So I don't drink during the day. You know, same thing like with pot, you know, I've got things I want that I need to do that need to get done. So I don't just like smoke weed all day, every day or just or anytime I feel like it. Yeah. You know? And just like like if we have um, if we have open mic, I don't start drinking until it's time for open mic, mm. even though I might get home. I might get home at four o'clock in the afternoon and uh. And I'm and I'll get in the pool and stuff and be like, man, it'd be nice to drink some beers right now, but I can't. You know what I mean? I won't yeah. make it to open mic, even right. if I'm not drunk. I can't drive to open mic now mm-hmm. after I've been. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like a control over a lack of control. You know that if you started, that you wouldn't be able to stop, but you have the ability to say, because of that, I just won't start. It's kind of an interesting yeah. combination of yeah. Like, like I have all the like I always say, one of my biggest reasons. For not uh my like my big my biggest reason to like for things to not get out of hand. Like I I like drinking so much that you know, I know I kind of said this, I'm trying to think of a better way to say it, but it's like I never want to have to quit. Right. I never want there to be a time where like people are sitting me down like mm-hmm. you have to quit. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to manage being an alcoholic as long as I can because I like it too much. Yeah. 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 But yeah, yeah, there are things like it's not as much as I like it, though. It's just not the most important thing in my life. For sure. If it it came between, you know, like our question that we always have at the end of the episode, like one of the things I can't it's hard for me to come up with a reason because as much as I like drinking, there's not even a thought if it would be drinking or comedy. Right. There's not even a second thought. Drinking right. is out of the. It's out of my life forever. You know. Mm-hmm. I, you know. Obviously, with me, it's food. Um, when I was in my twenties, eating habits started to catch up with me for the first time, and I started packing on the pounds. And I think I've maxed out around two hundred pounds. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm about five eight. Uh, and I'm built small, so to be two hundred pounds and to know that sixty five pounds of that is belly fat. Um, you know, that's, that, that's a, that was a wake up call for me to finally hit the, uh, to hit the big two hundy. Uh, and, and I've had big bouts of weight loss, uh, during different times. I, I, right after I got married in my late twenties, I lost like 60 pounds. Um, and I've just been putting it back on and taking it off ever since. And so right now I'm working out and, and, you know, once I, I don't know about you guys, it sounds like Joshua, this would particularly resonate with you. Dude, I have to, there is no middle ground with me. It is either I'm eating what the fuck I want to eat, ordering the Elise's pizza and eating the whole pie in one night, or I'm like, you know, extremely disciplined. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm the exact. <laughs> it's funny. Cause like <laughs> I have the alcohol thing, but mm-hmm. I also have the food thing. And mm-hmm. I also have like, Drew was talking about weed. Like that's why I can't, smoke i don't like weed smoke so i never smoked weed but like i like the idea Mm -hmm. of taking an edible but Uh it's like hey then i'm the type of guy like i'm gonna take (coughs) an edible Mm -hmm. and then i'll get to this point where like oh i feel great 
Like, this is what being high is, and I feel loose, and I'm vibrating, and I'm happy, and I'm smiling, and then my brain's like, you should take two more right now, <laughs> yeah. and then I'm way too high, mm-hmm. and then my brain's like, do you remember everything horrible in your life? Let's think about it for hours now. That's so interesting. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, everything is perfect, but somehow you, your brain is still like, like you know what I mean? Like let's mess. Let's like let's do more. Yeah. Like it's, everything is perfect. It's not going to get more perfect than it already is. Yeah. Well, but yeah. It, but it, that's it's just that's how how your brain tricks you or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same for alcohol. Like I can't have like if I was like buzzed and having a nice time. I'm like you should get a pint of Fireball right now. But the food thing I resonate with as well, and I feel like it's the same as the drinking. Like I am at a point in my life where I know what I need to do, mm-hmm. like as far as what I can eat, how much I can eat, and I need to just stay disciplined with that. Because for a long time, I would set a goal in mind and then go really hard, like mm-hmm. running six, seven miles a day, yeah. eating 1,300 calories, mm-hmm. drinking just water, mm-hmm. and then I would lose weight. I'd get to my goal weight, and then I'd be like the same as the end of sober October where I'm like, I am a piece of shit again. <laughs> like I'm right back to let me go. One time I went to and have you ever been to Andy's frozen custard mm, once? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's really great, but mm. it's so bad for you. Yeah. Drew Andy's. Have you ever been? Mm-mm. Okay. It's like ice cream, but worse for you. They, <laughs> and they put like brownies and peanut butter in it. And they make you like these blended ice cream things. Yeah, they, mm. break, they break a cigarette and dump it in there. <laughs> 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 um, and one time, like, I remember I was feeling, I was feeling good mm-hmm. about where I was physically. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have a cheat day. And it was like the, the last time, because I reminded myself, like, like I can't, right. um, cause then I like went to Raisin Cane's and I got uh, a Caniac combo with no mm. coleslaw and extra toast and mm. sauce. Yeah. And then I went to Andy's and I got a medium. Um, you know what a piece <laughs> of shit you have to be. <laughs> yeah. So we're a medium cut. There's it's there's like fifteen hundred calories in a small. Yeah. And I was like that maybe that's not enough. So I got a medium. <laughs> and there's two locations. There's one in Lafayette and there's one in Youngsville. Okay. So I ate, I ate raisin canes. I ate a medium custard. Mm-hmm. It was a big old cup of ice cream and brownies and peanut butter and hot fudge. Mm-hmm. And I drove to the other Andes. Because I was like, maybe theirs tastes different. And I got another medium one. Wow. And I ate, and I was sick. Like, I felt sick, obviously. I was nauseous Mm -hmm. eating it. And in my mind, I was like, this is for research. Like... (laughs) what if i don't know whose is better and guess what they taste the same yeah (laughs) spoiler alert yeah it's like this it's like if i went to mcdonald's and got a big mac and i was like let me go see the other mcdonald's and see if they use the same thing it's it's, it's a chain it's gonna be just as shitty as the first (laughs) yeah exactly that is amazing and the next day i woke up and i was like you know you get the, the sugar back in your system and i was like i want Maybe I'll get a pizza or something. And I was like, no, you just have to cut this stuff out of your life. Yeah. So I very much resonate with what you're talking mm-hmm. about with the weight loss. For sure. Uh, by now, everybody knows that you're relocating. And yes. it, we're, it's like the time is upon us, right? Like you're going to be, what, within, within a week or two? Three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. 
Wow. So what are you most looking forward to about being there, at least initially? Honestly, it sounds cliche to say on your podcast, but comedy is the only thing I'm looking forward to about living in Houston. Um, I've wanted to not live in Louisiana since high school, mm-hmm. which was 12 years ago. Right. And I felt like I always put it in my head where it's like at the end of the year, I'll move. Like, I remember like five years ago, I was like, this is my last Christmas in Louisiana. And look where we are right now. (laughs) But getting into stand up and falling in love with doing stand up uh, just made me like really hungry to go into a bigger scene and have more opportunities. And that has completely fueled my decision to move. So I'm just excited to hit the ground running and check out what they have going on. Yeah. Now, how long will you have been doing it actively by the time you arrive there? So the week I move, September 5th, that will make two years. Wow. Yeah. So to make a big decision like this for something that you've loved for the last two years and probably knew for a while before that you wanted to do, uh, do you ever find yourself being like, oh, my God, I just can't believe I'm doing this? This is cool as it is. It's also like kind of exciting and nerve wracking, I would think. Yeah, all the time. It's yeah. shocking to me. Like, I still have moments where I can't even I have to really think about the fact that I do comedy mm-hmm. and that it's it's the biggest thing in my life now because yeah. I always wanted to do it. But for whatever reason, I didn't. And uh, yeah, it's it's surreal. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, I wouldn't even say scary. It's like, I do have some anxiety about moving because I have lived here my whole life, you know, but it's good nerves. It's, Mm -hmm. and it makes me really honestly proud that I'm, I'm finally like being the person I wanted to be. Like I always wanted to do this. I always wanted to pursue stand up and comedy and uh, yeah, it's just cool, man. It's just the Mm -hmm. best feeling. Yeah, I mean, I thought you were going to say Ikea, but uh... <laughs> so, Drew, if you were going to like move somewhere and go pursue comedy, like what does Houston? Is it just is that this is the nearest large yeah, market? That's, so is that but that's you... probably where I would go, though. Yeah, because I wouldn't want to go to L.A. or New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one thing, I think it'd be like way too expensive over there. Yeah. And I've been to I haven't been to specifically L.A. or New York, but I've been to places like that. Mm-hmm. And you you live like a rat kinda yeah i mean maybe la is not so bad but um la does have kind of a superficial feel up to it i would like to see it i think it would be cool but yeah i don't think i'd like to live there Mm -hmm. and uh like new york is pretty much like living in like when you go to the pound and you see all the dogs and those little things that's how people in new york live like I said, I haven't been in New York, but I've been to cities like New York, and it's that's how people live, and well, I wouldn't want to live that way. Yeah, I mean, Houston and L.A., honestly, when you're just driving around, they, they're very similar, uh, other than being able to see. Yeah, he, yeah, L.A. is more, yeah, is more of a drive-around drive around city and stuff, yeah. and, there's, and there's, like, beaches and stuff. Other than being able to see, like, that you're in a valley and that there's actual mountain ridges all around you, Houston is... Man. But Houston, and Houston's good... I, th- I still think I'd rather go to Houston because it's close to Austin. Mm-hmm. It's still close to here. And there's not, there's not, um, LA's got a Hollywood thing. Yeah. Like everyone's trying to be an actor. Mm-hmm. If you go to Houston, there's a comedy scene. People are trying to be comedians. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you're more likely to just be surrounded by people that are kind of grounded and, and just relatively mm-hmm. speaking. Yeah. 
uh, as opposed to LA. So, um, obviously, so the, uh, the next question for me is like, what, I think I know the answer, but what do you think you're going to miss most about being here? Um, you know, I'll miss, I'll miss family. Like I'll miss my brother. I'll miss our comedy scene for sure. Yeah. Like you guys, I'm going to miss you guys a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, I was going to be upset if he left that out. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. Like (laughs) I I, I love you guys. I genuinely do. I'm going to miss y'all. I'm going to miss, uh, Jason and Tyler and Charles, you know, everybody. Yeah. I was like, I'll have to list everyone if I, if I don't stop now, (laughs) if I just said everyone, but one person, Um, we'd know who it was. Yeah. Of course. But, uh, yeah, I'll miss that. I'll miss, you know, all the friends I've, I've made over the years. My best friends live here. Yeah. That people I've known since middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, nothing. Yeah. I, I don't, I've never really been like a huge fan of Louisiana. Right. Well, and not only that, like, other than leaving your friends and family, you go to Houston, it's the same weather. Yeah. You know, you have the same climate. It doesn't look much different, really. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Other than, like, uh, there's a part of Houston that's a bigger city, bigger buildings. But, like, we don't live... We live in Louisiana, but we're not, like, on the fucking swamp and a houseboat and all that. You know what I mean? Where, yeah. And it's not... Houston, you've still got grass and trees in Houston. So, really, other than your friends and family, that's really gonna be the only big change yeah i mean i'm not gonna miss my job there's, yeah there's like, not I that wait tables there's not that much yeah there's and there's not much that that would be that's gonna change mm. like you wouldn't even know that the place you're at has a different name other than the fact that you know you know what i mean yeah 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 plus with home being like an afternoon drive away like i've driven i've driven to ikea from here to pick up like a chair and driven back the same day like mm. it's it's not that big of a deal but, um, you know, it is, I'm sitting in the room right now with two guys who are a year in and two years in. And I got to say, just as being somebody who's doing it and, and having my own individual experience, you guys are both very impressive. I'll just say that to both of you, Thanks, just Michael. that, that the amount, the way that you've been able to, I mean, I can look at both of you and I've thought about it and thought about things in both of your backgrounds that, that gave you like a reason to hit the ground running, but that doesn't, that shouldn't take away from the hard work and the dedication mm-hmm. and the accomplishments that you guys have made. And it's very cool to just, to think that, you know, if, if the, the opportunity is there, that if yeah. you reach a point where you are ready to take that next step. I mean, Jesus, all you got to do is go apartment shopping and, and get you another job. Mm -hmm. And, and, and you could be living in a a really cool place where the comedy opportunities are so much more than they are here. Because like new Orleans is the idea of driving to new Orleans, as much as they have going on, it's like two hours or so from Mm -hmm. here. Yeah. The idea of going to new Orleans, um, on a regular basis nauseates me just because of the idea of having to be on the road all the time. Yeah. Yeah, but, it's not an easy two hours either. No, but the idea of moving to some place where the comedy scene would be comparable or better, really, it's better. Um, that seems so much for some reason, it just seems so much more doable just to pick up and leave rather than to. Oh, yeah. Like, and that's the thing. Like, who knows? Maybe whenever um, like the kids we have now, like once they 
get out of high school and choose to do what they choose to do. If they choose to go to college, if they choose to leave and go to college or move out and get jobs or whatever, I don't know. We might, we might think about that, you know, like, do we want to stay here? Do we want to go somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. And with the internet too, you can do a lot without really move. You know, back in the in the day, if you wanted to be like an actor, you had to move to L.A. or New York or same thing with comedy. You had to go somewhere. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to now. You you can have a way for people to see you without actually physically going to them. <laughs> but it definitely would help though. Yeah, to I be tried- in a scene. I tried to be realistic about, I knew I wanted to move, right? And whenever I say Houston, some people are like, that's crazy. Like, why Houston? Um, When there is like New York and LA and people still do have that mindset of like, that's where you go to get discovered. Right. And I'm like, well, I'm not moving to get discovered because realistically, like you just said, Mm -hmm. Drew, if you want to get discovered, like it's going to be on TikTok or Instagram yeah. or Facebook Reels. Right. So don't move to L.A. because you think that Lauren Michaels is going to be at the open mic that you're at. That's in a barbecue mm-hmm. restaurant. Like yeah. I want to move to Houston because there's opportunity to get on stage and I can get more reps in and mm-hmm. I can grow as a comic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do still meet people who are like, you need to go to L.A. I'm like, let's be realistic, like. Or if I moved to New York and I got a one bedroom or a studio apartment and paid $3,000 a month, like, I wait tables, dog. I don't know what, <laughs> what comedy shows you think I'm going to yeah. be doing. I'm going to be working six jobs to pay right. for my shack. Mm-hmm. My and roommates are going to be rats and actual roommates. And from, like, what Alana was telling us a few weeks ago, um, like, they said, like, New York, you can get on stage. But not right away. Yeah. They, she says, like, if, until you get to, she said, it's way easier you get to get on stage over here. Yeah. It's way easier to get on stage. And then she even said, like, there's no, when you do first, all the open mics, there's no audience. Right. So even it's like, yeah, you might, you can, uh, you can maybe do like five sets in one night, but you just did five sets for no one. Right. You like, can just one do that open in your house. mic here is more valuable than five open mics there. It doesn't, it doesn't get to to a spot to where you're moving faster until you get to where you get known enough to where you you can do multiple spots in a night yeah. instead of multiple open mics, you know? You're going to already know people yeah. in Houston, you know? It's not like you're just you're just going out there to start out and nobody knows who you are and you can be trying to trying to get into open mics and stuff like that. When you move over there, people will be giving you spots right away. Yeah. Maybe not right, so. right away, but pretty, pretty soon. Yeah. Once they know you're there. Yeah. Tyler helped put that in perspective. I think we had all talked about it because I went to Austin like six months ago and I kind of fell in love with being in Austin. But at the same time, like I, th- I brought it up to Tyler and he was like, you have to realize there's so many people in Austin trying to do comedy mm-hmm. and there's X amount of spots available. You go to a place like Houston, like. Same amount of opportunities and way less people pursuing them, you mm-hmm. know? So that helped my decision too, for sure. And I have started to wonder, like, after seeing, like, almost a year, seeing, uh, like, the type of comedians we have over here. Well, even longer than that, because, like, I was watching before I, I did it. 
and uh like I'll watch Kill Tony mm-hmm. and they'll have like someone to do a, a little one minute set and uh he'll be like, you know, it'll be very mediocre and he'll be like, How long have you been doing it? And they'll say four years. And he's like, All right, well that's a good set for someone doing four years. I'm like, man, if he would come to Lafayette open mic, he would come all over himself. <laughs> Cause I can tell you right now, that's for us, that's not a four year that's not a four year comic. Yeah. At all. I would have that that person I would say like maybe a year or a year or two over here and it would still be kind of pushing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to think, I'm like, I don't really know if like in Austin, I mean, there's great comedians in Austin. I'm not going to say there's not, but um, I noticed that they seem to be blown away pretty easily by people from Austin, you know, by people in Austin and LA and stuff. It was the same thing like in LA, like, before uh, I didn't think too much of it until I started seeing other comedians and doing comedy mm. and started realizing like a lot of these people that they're they'll be amazed about that have been doing comedy for years and years aren't as good as people over here who have been doing it not nearly as long. Yeah. You know, and they don't get up as much as them either. I, I think it goes back to our stage time. We get more out of our stage time over here. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, there's a bit of a there's a mentoring kind of vibe um, here uh, and sort of there's standards that I, I think that, that the people that are that the most influential in the scene are kind of reinforcing, you know, very actively. Uh, so are you submitting to festivals much? Um, I submitted to two festivals in the last year. I did not get into either one. Yeah. What we were talking about that last night. I don't think you were there. I submitted to uh, one in Austin and one in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And I used a tape from January. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting this tape. Jason filmed me at a, a show in Gonzales. And I remember watching it and being like, yo, this is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. And when I submitted it, I was like, I'm for sure getting into these festivals. And <laughs> I did not, for mm-hmm. sure. But then now I look back at the clip I submitted and January was what? I can't do math. Like Seven, eight months ago? Eight months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I look back at, at the tape and I'm like, yo, this sucks. Like, <laughs> this is horrible. Yeah. I can't believe I thought this was good. Yeah. But that does also give me optimism mm-hmm. as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you could just imagine yourself a year from now thinking that everything you're doing now is dog shit, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a good quality, I think. You know, sometimes you meet someone who they they think everything they're doing is working, so they never work on themselves, and mm. then you just end up staying complacent or the same. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I submitted to those festivals. I didn't get into either one. Mm-hmm. I think I'll probably, I'm going to submit to more in the future. Yeah. But they were both so recent that I was like, let me, let me take a minute. Yeah. And I'll revisit that at a later time. You know, what really excites me is the idea of you going for six months in Houston and then coming back and letting Jason produce like you doing spot at 337 or something like that and having you become that much better, but have Jason's production quality behind the video. Yeah. Because I mean, I don't, I'm, there's mm-hmm. plenty of people that could do it. It's just a matter of in Houston. I mean, there's like endless options, I'm sure, but it's just a matter of networking. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you just feel like the person who really genuinely cares about you and and also produces videos would just put a little bit more love into the the production of it, you know. Yeah. 
So I don't know if, if that's really makes any difference or not, but I just, the idea of you being able to come back and do a show here and get like a really great tape, uh, <laughs> seems great. I don't know. It seems exciting. I was watching a show on TV before I came over here and I, and I was like, kept having to turn it up. And I and I'll say, you know, I don't know what it is about like television, even like with these big old budgets they have that there always has to be some it has to have some level of being a piece of shit for it to be allowed on TV. Because I'm like, I watch so many things like I can't fucking hear shit. I can't understand. I'll have the watch of the closed captions. I can't watch anything. I can watch something on YouTube that someone shot in a room like this. And can hear everything perfectly. Yeah. And I was thinking, I was like, if they would have got Jason Leonard to do sound on this fucking multi-million dollar TV show, <laughs> I would be able to hear what these people are saying right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so true, though, because I remember, like, <clears throat> I don't remember the comedian, and it doesn't matter. But Jason and I were going to New Orleans one time, and he played, this is a... Like, I think Comedy Central recorded stand-up album. And the audio quality was garbage on it. Like, it sounded like when I hit record on my phone and put it in my pocket at an open mic. Jeez. And then you listen to Jason, like, his quality of work, he's recorded people's albums, like Will's and uh, Mike's. Mm -hmm. You listen to that and you're like, this is pristine. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and probably done way cheaper than them too. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean Jason does put a lot of money into what he does, but not nearly like what what they do, you know. Yeah, and you know, independent sort of Q base, you know, kind of computer based um, audio production has been out there for for quite a while, and so I think that the tools. Uh, you don't have to have a massive budget to get in a fantastic mm-hmm. audio recording, but also. Jason is a stand-up, and he listens to stand-up yeah. all the time. Yeah, and he has a music background, too. And the music as well. And he's a nerd about stuff. Yeah, he is a giant nerd. Um, that was my main point, really. <laughs> <laughs> I have, like, uh, a few videos from Jason now. I have the Stone Drunk Sober one from the mm-hmm. last time. And it's so cool, and it's such good quality, that I could never imagine trying to film myself on my phone again. Because, like, what am I going to do with that? Like, you know, when someone's like, hey, can you hold? Someone asked me, like, pretty recently. They're like, can you hold my phone while I'm on stage? Mm. Like, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I, can't. You can completely understand where they're coming from, but it's just they just don't understand. They don't know. Like, once you've. There's not a whole lot that you can learn from watching video that you couldn't get just as good from just the audio unless the video is a really good quality. Yeah. So there's, that's just, yeah. Uh, Other than like looking at things you do, mannerism, your mannerisms and stuff like that, but you don't need to do that every time. Right. Right. Yeah. I find a lot of people that were, they do film themselves at open mics or something or doing it to upload mm-hmm. and they want to put it on TikTok or Instagram, which I do like understand wanting to do that. But I found like, and I did that too. I had stuff on my phone that I tried. But if your video is not good quality, the likelihood of people watching it is very slim. Oh, I can tell you right now. When I scroll through Instagram, it's like Instagram is like just music and comedy. That's all. It's just feel good stuff on there. Yeah. And you know, it'll have it'll show you a lot of suggested stuff. Mm -hmm. So a lot of comedians will come up. 
and uh, if that video is grainy and the sound is bad, I'll just keep on scrolling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. So, like, no telling how much, like, great material I'm missing out on, but I'm like, I can't watch this fucking piece of shit video. <laughs> yeah. Instagram. Instagram is kind of, you know, started off with just it's pretty pictures is what it was supposed to be. So I still think there's a big uh, visual element to Instagram, but studies like they've when all when they started, when like all these companies like Apple uh, started putting like production tools in the hands of like everyday consumers and trying to turn us all into like independent producers, um, they figured out pretty quickly that audio quality from most independently produced video audio quality is more important. A person mm-hmm. who can't really hear what's going on very well is much more likely to turn it off than somebody that can't see. That's it. Why, as well. I, that's why I, I cannot understand the thought process behind very funny comedians that put n- no type of thought into how they're holding the microphone. Yeah. Like I'm I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. Like I can hear sometimes where I'll be saying something and the microphone's too far, or too close to my mouth. But some people just cover the tip of the microphone with their whole hand and mm-hmm. shove it in their mouth or it's almost it's like halfway down like to their stomach. Mm-hmm. It's like after a while and they're and there's really good comedians, but it's like how could you work so hard and then when it gets to the part where you want you want them to hear it? You just don't care anymore. Yeah. Like, what good is all the work you did before if they don't hear, if they cannot hear what you're saying? Yeah. It makes no sense to me. It's true. And they just don't realize, you know, I I think a lot about the types of mistakes that I would make if I hadn't come from the background uh, that I did uh, when it comes to all the technical stuff. But, you know, what's interesting is, like, if you go to the station, uh, the guys that put on that mic they have a compressor on the microphone so that if you hold it down here where the the ball of the microphone is at your sternum, you can hear yourself very well in the crowd. And if you eat the mic and do what most mm-hmm. people would probably tell you to do, uh, the compressor is squashing your voice down because it's getting too strong of a signal. So it's actively squashing it down. So the louder that you get when the microphone's close to your mouth, the more that the system will make you almost like indistinguishable. So, so if you're over there doing that and you're used to that working there and then you come over here and you're doing the same thing, you can almost kind of, uh, it's easy to see how they're making those kind of mistakes. But, um, when you think about relocating away from the cluster of scenes that we have here in South Louisiana, do you ever think like, thank God I can kind of leave behind some of the baggage? You know what I mean? Because it seems like there's some things and we can't, you know, we, we, we kind of have courted controversy a little bit on this podcast, but we, we don't want to. Uh, and so we don't want to name drop or really get into the specifics of any one person's situation. But when you think back over some of the stuff that we've all discussed privately, do you ever, especially lately, you ever think like, well, you know, I'm going to miss my friends, but it'll be nice to start over in a new scene without all that. You know, to answer you honestly, I kind of love the drama. <laughs> well, and I can tell you this too. There's gonna have that over there too. Yeah, you're gonna leave. Like, and the thing is, like, none of us are really involved in any any drama. We just hear other people's drama. Yeah, and we just kind of it's like reality TV for us. But that's gonna be everywhere. Even yeah. whenever when I was growing up, my parents were divorced. And my dad lived in a real small town. And that's all people would talk about is like, I can't wait to get out of here. Everybody knows everybody's business and all this. Mm. It's like that everywhere you go. When you go to a bigger city, 
you know, the thing is, when you're in a real small town, everyone knows each other. Everyone knows each other's business. It's the same. When you move to a bigger city, you don't know your next door neighbor's business if you don't know that person. But everyone who knows each other still knows everyone's business because yeah. people are nosy, people are catty, and yeah, all people are people. Anywhere you go, people <laughs> talk shit and people are messy. Right, and that's how it is because like you can go to a massive city like Houston where the population is probably more than twice Baton Rouge, I would think, but. You can make it a whole lot smaller as soon as you get plugged into any sort of community. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you're going there to do. Mm. And so I would think if anything, you just get a break from it before you eventually find out about all the stuff that's going on out yeah. there. Yeah, it'll be yeah. a little break until you start. You get more comfortable in the scene. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, it might be different for me from my perspective because I've never been involved in any type of altercation or I've never been in any drama with anybody, mm-hmm. at least in the comedy community, you know? Right. Um, Cause I feel like I'm pretty to myself unless I'm communicating with like you guys, like a, a small circle right. of people that I trust. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I, I eat that shit up. I love the drama. <laughs> I love like seeing someone leave a snarky comment on someone else's Facebook (laughs) status Mm -hmm. and then every 30 minutes checking their Facebook to see like, (laughs) is there a development to this story? Are they fighting yet? Like not involving myself. I don't, I don't stir the pot, but I I am hungry for what they're cooking. You know, like I'm going to (laughs) check. Or this phone you go you keep checking and you go back to check and then it's not there. Yeah. Like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like oh, did, I wonder if they deleted it or or I wonder if the person whose post it was deleted it. Was, yeah. Did they talk about it or sometimes like a whole post would be gone? Yeah. I only like I I went to like insert myself in a in some comedy drama once. I like posted a Facebook status and then like three minutes later, I was like, just, I'm just going to delete this. Cause yeah. I don't want, and I don't, you know, the thing is I don't actually care like enough mm. to have a strong stance on a lot of the things. Yeah. Um, I just like to be messy. I just mm. like got not be messy. I like to absorb spectator. all of their yeah. gossip. It's, it's just content. Yeah. <laughs> I love to see someone say something and screenshot it and put it in our group chat. That's what I'm going to miss. See, Jason said he's going to kick me out of the group chat, and I do believe I him. I hope he does. You- <laughs> I- I'm going to, that's, you asked me what I'll miss about Louisiana. I'm just going to miss that. Yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, like, and, you know, to a certain extent, the, the, I would, I would imagine that, like, once you're acclimated to a new scene, um, it'll be easier, but dude, when, when you first leave, I think it's going to be, that's going to be tough for me is I, I think it's gonna be tough yeah. for, for all the people just really appreciate your presence here. Uh, and the idea of you just one day, I don't think you ever really would do it, but if you ever did just to be funny, I would be like, Oh, I feel like <laughs> other than, other than Tyler Arsenault, I don't feel like I'm going to have, um, like a worthy roast roast opponent anymore. Right. Yeah, you know, I think my biggest thing is I spent so much time writing jokes to shit talk you, and what do I? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with them now? <laughs> There'll be plenty of people in Texas that look like me. There's no one, but like part of what I like about roasting you at shows is that you like it. Yeah, you know, 
and that we're friends already so we have like the banter right yeah that's true <laughs> yeah we talked to a couple of different guests on the pod about um you know just how cool it would be if there were more like roast opportunities i know there's got to be some some producers out here that are hearing this and and maybe getting some ideas going because it really is it's just a wide open opportunity that like i saw like i think you shared a, a post today about a roast that was going on in another neighboring market uh but we just don't have that stuff in the sort of baton rouge lafayette lake charles uh scenes that much so. well this is a good time well, I don't, actually don't know when this episode will come out, but when do you know? We're not really sure right yeah. now. All right. On the off chance it comes out before then, September 1st at mm-hmm. 337, we do have a roast show called mm-hmm. You Look Like. Will Loden is bringing it from Houston. Uh-huh. And I found out today my first opponent is uh, Will, who I'm so <laughs> excited to go against because I love Will. And I look up to him so much in comedy mm-hmm. and also like, I feel like the more I admire and care about someone, the more I want to destroy them in roast battles. (laughs) Like Drew and I did the keys roast. Mm -hmm. And I remember Tyler, Tyler and I had written jokes together when he did a roast thing. And, uh, so he knows that I I can be creative with that. Mm -hmm. And I remember he looked at me and he was like, man, I gotta say, like, I'm excited to see what you come up with for me. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he said that, I was like, I'm going to fucking destroy you. <laughs> like, I am going so hard yeah. out of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's the uh, it's like the ultimate uh, way for me. It's a it's the ultimate like guy way of showing affection. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's just the way I grew up. Like, it was kind of like. um, We. Things were a lot different when I was growing up with mm-hmm. guys. Like it was always, you know, like the whole thing is like somebody, you know, you'd always basically what it was, was we would all call each other gay all the time. Yeah. But the so the whole thing was instead of being like, man, I love you. Because if you said that, they'd be like, talk gay. You yeah. know, <laughs> so it was like that was kind of the way is like we roasted each other. That was like. The whole love language between dudes, you know? Yeah. Like sure. uh that Rob Lahe, not a comedian, but uh he works at Legends and where we're doing the new mic, oh, he's one yeah. of the managers over there. Okay. And we've known each other forever. And one time, uh like I, I uh I used to every time I'd go to Legends, I'd be like, Hey, you know Rob Lahe? Like any location, they'd be like, Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, Tell him I said I hate him. <laughs> you know? they were like all right and uh so then one day he like said something about it and he's like dude everybody's like who's this guy that keeps telling us he hates you or whatever and i forgot how it went down but he said something and then it, i remember it like provoked me and i'm like dude i'm gonna fucking tell like tell you that i hate you mm-hmm. every way i possibly can <laughs> so like i fucking like i texted him i hate you I called him and he picked up the phone. I'm like, I hate you. And I hung up the phone. (laughs) I fucking emailed him. I messaged him on Facebook. I made a post on Facebook where you go right on his wall and it was just, I hate you. I, I didn't know his address. So I mailed it to his parents' house, but I went to the post. I drove, I passed up his parents' house. I drove past his parents' house, went to the post office Got an envelope and a stamp. Wrote, Dear Rob, 
I hate you. Love, Drew. Put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, put it in the mailbox, and had it delivered to his parents' house. (laughs) So the next time he went visit his parents, they're like, we got mail for you. And he's like, uh, just one day on the blue, I just get a text. I'm like, dude, fucking letters? (laughs) You wasted a stamp. I was like, dude, Mm. I used the fucking taxpayer's money to tell you that I hate you. I love that you had to actually buy a stamp to do that. Like you didn't have any, you know. That was That's what I was thinking because I don't have stamp. Like <laughs> if I was gonna commit to that, I'd have to go inside of the post office. <laughs> yeah, to I did buy too. That. I did because I didn't have stamps at that time. Yeah, I didn't have that many bills. I didn't have child support yet and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And that, that was before they had like now. I keep um like they have stamped envelopes. They have envelopes with the, like the the uh, stamp printed on them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and that's the thing is like. I could have just put it in the mailbox, but that just wasn't enough. Right. And I drove past the mailbox uh-huh. to get envelope and stamps. So and to make this official U.S. postage, like a mailman had right. to bring this right. to you. Exactly. Or it wasn't going to, it's not going to yeah. work the same. Yeah. yeah, you had that, all those markings on the front of the envelope that show it's been processed through the U.S. postal system. And it's not just a letter with a stamp on an envelope. It's, it's like the whole thing. Yeah. You really committed to the bit, and that's why we love you, man. Um, <laughs> so I, I remember back when you were describing before the feeling of like, I don't remember whether it was if you were drinking or if it was too much uh, edibles or what it was, but you mentioned, you alluded to the idea of like, let's think about all the most horrible shit that ever happened or something like that. And that that apparently was when those kinds of things would come to you. Now, uh, when you have clinical depression, your brain just does that to you all the time. Do you feel like you're more or less like an upbeat, positive person in general. Now mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. For a long time. No. Okay. For a long time. I think most of my adulthood, actually, I considered myself a very sullen, grouchy, very hard to talk to person. Mm-hmm. But I think that was just because I wasn't happy. Like yeah. I wasn't fulfilled in any way. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing anything that I liked to do. Right. And um, drinking was a big part of that as well. But also it was like career stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like I went through a lot of different phases before mm-hmm. I tried stand up, you know, like restaurants, obviously I've worked in for a long time, but as a restaurant manager, hated it so much. Yeah. I was a realtor. Horrible. I'm a horrible salesman. And it's really just because I'm bad at lying to people. Mm. Um, But I never was successful at that. And then I went to I graduated from college in kinesiology. And uh, I this is it's so stupid. But I just like did not realize until I graduated in a with a medical degree to work in the medical field that I hated everything. Like I started doing internships and I was like, I could never do this. I, mm. So I don't know. I just was in a place for a long time where I wasn't really seeing uh, where I was going with my life. Mm. And um, I was very down to the dumps. I was yeah. a very, I think people see me now and how I am. And it's kind of a, a shock because they remember me as being like, that dude sucks. That dude's a <laughs> douchebag and he's rude. Especially if you, yeah, if you were a realtor at one point, yeah, there's no way you could be having. That's such an uns, like unsatisfying job. 
Because it's such a useless job, really. It really is. You don't need realtors. (laughs) Yeah, no, like genuinely as someone who did that, if you want to sell your house, that's fine. Like you don't just do it. You don't need the help. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's hard to like really get satisfaction out of a job that no one needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yes. there's no there's no real purpose for a realtor, you right. know, and they're, they're they're just really it's like making a career out of being a fucking douche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? <laughs> I went down my uh, I made my Facebook page like a professional yeah. page recently because Tyler told me I should. Mm-hmm. So I went back like years ago on my timeline to delete. You know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, when you were all like, the pictures of me in blackface. Yeah, I took them all. yeah. <laughs> just kidding. I don't think it was that many years ago, was it? <laughs> I, whenever June was, I don't know. I mean, it, uh, it used to not be that big a deal. You know? <laughs> I am joking. I do not like. It that. was Halloween. Um, but I went back down my timeline and I found all these pictures uh, and like memes that I was sharing when I did real estate, mm. and it was like real estate humor uh, and it would be like uh jim carrey and dumb and dumber when he's leaning out of the limousine and he's he's cocked his sunglasses and it's like when you get the clear to close and i shared it with like the crying laughing emojis mm-hmm. or it's like paper plates <laughs> in a window and it's like home staging on a budget and when i was looking at them i was like it's Pretty like amazing that I did not kill myself. That's like, yeah. <laughs> like I hated just watching that and reminding. Like, I know I never thought that was funny, but I don't know when you're committing to something in your life, you're like, yeah, yeah was I a, do real estate, and this is funny now. It was a dark. Me. It was a dark period. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was it was a very, very dark, dark period. period. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just just looking back, I. It, that felt like a fever dream too. Also mm-hmm. like doing internships with, uh, you know, my degree that felt crazy. Well, yeah, because you, you graduated like in the last year or so, right? Yeah. I graduated in May of 2022. Yeah. So you were doing internships before or after the degree? Uh, during and, during, okay. and a little after. Yeah. So yeah. it was very recently that, that you were going through that experience of being like, all right, well, I got the degree and, and this has got to make the transition, you know, some way or another. And meanwhile, comedy was like ramping up really at the same time. It's just crazy to think that within a year or so of you graduating from college and trying to get your feet wet in the field that now you're just going such a different direction. Yeah, because I never really genuinely knew what I wanted to do. And Mm. when I went back to college, like I went back to college when I was like 23. Yeah. And I, I just remember like, I felt like a real loser Mm -hmm. at that time. Like I had dropped out of college already. I was waiting tables. I had no prospects and I just felt like a, like a bum, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I knew I needed to go back to college or I, I thought I needed to go back to college at the time. And, um, I remember just thinking like, what's something 
that I could go to school for that people will respect. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this is so stupid. I was just watching Grey's Anatomy a lot of the time. <laughs> oh my god! And I was like, that that looks fine. Like they're doc, they're literally right. surgeons in that show. And I was like, I'll do that. Mm. Um, and also, it's fun because they like are at a bar every other. So they're yeah. like getting fucked up, and then they're operating on a brain tumor. And I'm like, right. I'll do that. And they're all fucking each other too, right? They're all fucking. They're all drinking, and then uh, it's and then. Do you know the thing about that show too is it's funny every episode. Have you watched Grey's Anatomy? Mm-hmm. I'm not even gonna ask Drew because no, <laughs> you have. I fucking hate it, dude. My ex used to watch it, and it was a thing. It was like you have to watch lady shows <laughs> with me. You know, lady shows. That's awesome, and it was horrible. It, it, I will admit now it, that show is it's horrible. Yeah, but I don't know why I I was into it for like a year, but it's funny because every episode someone there's a new patient and they always start with like, they have a brain, they stub their toe and we found out they have a brain tumor and it's inoperable. And clearly they don't know what the word inoperable means. (laughs) Because they operate every time. Yeah. because They're like, it's inoperable, but we know a guy, he's finger banging Meredith at this bar across the street. They just did Jaeger bombs. They'll be here in a minute. But I was watching that show and I was like, yeah, I'll be a doctor. But then I was also like, I'm not, I, I can't, I'm not smart enough to be a doctor. So I just picked like an adjacent thing mm-hmm. where I was like kinesiology that could be like physical therapy or something right. like that. Um, <clears throat> and that's really why I picked it. Like, mm-hmm. nope, I didn't have a passion for science sure. or being in that field. And then I was like three and a half years in. And I was like, well, it's, I just got to a point where I was like, I've, I've done too much to not graduate now. Yeah. So the last like year and a half was just me getting to the finish line pretty much. I guess it's, it would be more tempting to pursue something in that field if Mm -hmm. the opportunities were more attractive. Because for what I went to college for, if I pulled up on Indeed or a, a job search, it pays like 12 to $14 an hour to work a nine to five. And I wait tables and I make like 40 to $50 an hour on average, you know? And it's like, to me, the the trade-off would be now I need to work more to make less so that people will quote unquote respect what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Because people look at waiting tables as like, people out there like, are you gonna get a real job? And I'm like, are you gonna mind your fucking business? (laughs) Yeah. You Dr. Pepper drinking whore. Well people do that with me. Like I'll do jobs and I I bid them by the going rate. And it's also like what um what factors in the price to do a job is the job you're doing. And not only not only that, but like what what I could be doing instead of this. Mm-hmm. So that kind of factors in. And some jobs, like sometimes I'll somebody will like try to sit down and figure out that I made like uh, you know, if they're like, oh, you made like sixty dollars an hour on this job, which really there's always other expenses that they're not aware of. So it's usually off, but in their head, it's like all this much, and like um. And they, and even if they bidded like other people, and I was still the best price, and would still be angry with me, I'm like I don't understand. Like you're you're expecting me to 
do to work just as hard for less money. Like that's yeah. what you're angry at me about. Like I don't make the fucking market. Yeah. The market is what the market is. You yeah. know? Right. Yeah, that's the thing. People yeah, don't, do it your fucking self. People don't really understand. Like if you go and just Google like like if you do any freelance work, I've done a lot of creative freelance work. And if you if you're doing that, you don't whatever you end up when it, when they do that math and they take out the materials or whatever and they figure out whatever you grossed per hour for the job that you did. That's how much your business made. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're not taking home nearly as much of that as they might think. Oh, it's yeah. just common There's, knowledge if you've ever done freelance work. Yeah. And then they don't think about like, I know we're getting way off the subject, but there, there's a logistical aspect. Like if someone will call me like to go change a ceiling fan in their house and I'll say like a hundred dollars or a hundred and twenty dollars or something, at least a hundred. And they'll be like, that's crazy. You were here for an hour and a half and two or two hours. I'm like, yeah, but I got up, loaded a truck, got in the truck, drove over there, drove back. Like it's half my day is gone. Yeah. And most of the time, once half, once the first half of your day is gone, the second half is gone. Mm. It's so hard to 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 book another. Every now and then it works where there's two small jobs. And you can do one in the morning and one in the afternoon and, you know, make a couple hundred bucks in a day. But a lot of times it's like, yeah, I'm working on this fan. This $100 is the only money I'm making today. Yeah. That's not a ridiculous amount of money to make in a day. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's because there and and the whole thing is, is like, there's this other guy. There's another job I could start. This morning and I can make three hundred and fifty dollars today doing that job. Mm. But instead, I'm changing your fan. I think I'm being pretty reasonable to just make a hundred dollars today. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole side of like, if you ever had to hire a contractor to come do any work at your house, you need to understand it from their perspective. It's not necessarily going to make you real happy about spending whatever you end up spending, but uh, there, it's it's complicated. Yeah, and then where we can tie this into uh, what this podcast is about, that's like um, Jason was talking about to uh, film to do to video of people's of people's sets. Yeah, and and he was even kind of he would he like made a post to ask for people's like input and opinions because he doesn't want to. He wants to make some money and do and be fair. Like, yeah, kind he of was get, like asking, kind of figure out what's like, what's what are other people charging? You know, what what's fair? Just market research. Yeah, yeah, it was like if you're a comedian and I told you I could film your set, it's this quality, and he he broke everything down. He was like, "What's a fair price for this?" He was like, "Just trying yeah. to see." And there was someone in the comments that was like, "Well, if it's one of if it's one of your shows." It should just be for it should be free. And I'm like, no, no, we get paid to do those shows that. So nothing is free after that. We he, we're not entitled the use of his equipment and then his time because then he has to go back and edit all that. He has yeah. to match up all the audio with the video. And then he's he's usually running multiple cameras, multiple mics. He's got to turn down the volume on this loud noise that, you know, it's it's. Very time consuming, you know, like, why would you think that you're entitled to that? Yeah. You know, especially when you're allowed to film your own set. Sure. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's it. Always just take a stance. Take what you see, what you think is a reasonable stance on on any topic, and uh, just watch as somebody will absolutely stand up and disagree with you. And it just doesn't, just never ceases to amaze me, though. So, a little bit of a a gear shift. Um, So, I asked you about um, if you if you feel like you're a positive person, and we talked about that for a while. But I'm curious. Do you, you've been doing comedy for about two years now. Do you feel like you've had an opportunity to do it from two different head spaces or do you feel like you've more or less been on a positive trajectory for a while now? Cause I'm trying, I'm just, what I'm trying to get at is, do you have any experience, you know, writing from a place of being like in a low place or an unhealthy place and, and trying to do comedy there and then being able to experience the difference of doing it more in the headspace that you're in now. Yeah. No, so yeah, like two years in, I would say my whole first year was writing from a place of like, you know, enjoying doing comedy and knowing that I wanted to do it, but also not feeling great in any other way. And, um, you know, I noticed in the last year, now that my mindset is better and a more positive, like, everything about comedy has gotten so much better for me. Mm-hmm. Like writing for, for me, like not drinking was a big thing yeah. as far as performance, because like I already said, like I'm not having a beer, I'm having 11 beers. And I'm like, I don't know if you think you sound interesting or charming when you've had 11 beers, you don't, you do <laughs> not like as a sober person being around drunk people now, mm-hmm. Whenever a drunk, like a very drunk person talks to me, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I was this asshole for like a decade. Um, (laughs) But I I was in this weird thing with comedy my first year because I didn't feel good and my mindset was bleak. Mm -hmm. And I think that reflected in the way I wrote jokes a lot Mm -hmm. because I have a lot of recordings of me starting And I do attribute like a good part of this is just emulating a comedian that you find funny. Mm -hmm. And I find like dark humor funny. So me trying to do that on stage. um, I feel like in the last year, though, I've learned to just write more in my voice. Yeah. And I think that at my core, I am a positive person and I have cleaner jokes, Mm -hmm. but not because I go into it thinking like I want to be clean. I just think I that's just who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is weird because I have the whole first year of being like, yeah, like I'm I'm edgy and I'm going to say crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Bad boys of comedy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm grunge and I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, drinking. And uh, and then now it's I feel like my jokes are nothing like that. Right. Um, It's like we were talking about the festivals earlier and I looked back at that tape that I submitted and I don't even use any of those jokes anymore. Isn't that interesting? It's it is interesting because at the time I thought like these are the these are the best jokes I have. Right. And uh, and now I I think they're not funny at all. And even Mm. some of them I dragged out farther along into the year and I've just made myself quit because I don't. I remember my brother watched me do stand up recently. We were talking about one of my jokes and he was like, I don't know. I just feel like I can tell as someone who knows you, you don't like to say that. Like you don't seem like you're Mm -hmm. having as much fun when you say it and you're more tense on stage. 
And I was like, yeah, because that's like, that's from when I was a different person, basically. Yeah. That was from like way back. Yeah, it's almost like if you tell at a certain point, you're telling it just because you're trying to fill time. Yeah. 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 And then that's also speaks to like, if you don't think something's funny, why would anyone else right. think yeah. that it's funny? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So you, I believe you have to believe in what you're saying. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of material I don't uh, resonate with anymore. Yeah. I don't think it represents who I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I will say one of the weird things about doing stand up when I drank was knowing that I liked doing it and having like I would look forward to doing the open mic all week and I wasn't on showcases. I was just on an open mic once a week. So, so it just, I knew it was the best part of my week. And then I would, I remember like several times getting so drunk that I would not remember doing yeah. stand up at all. Right. And I was like, what am I even doing this? Like I'm right. putting myself through all the anxiety, mm-hmm. all of the preparation to just like, I have to text my friend the next morning and be like, was I funny last night? And then they're like, no, (laughs) (laughs) of course not. You suck at this. And I was like, I know. I just wanted to make sure. (laughs) Thanks for confirming. That's that's one of the pluses I think that I have about starting stand up later in life. Like in my mid thirties is that's a mistake. I definitely would have made earlier in life, but I've already made those mistakes with drinking with so many other things that with come like i've never been drunk on stage before yeah ever mm. one time i got on because i was like it was one of those atmosphere mics that was like really long and i was kind of towards the end and when i got on stage and i didn't even realize until i was on stage i was like a little bit but like a little more buzzed than i would like to be mm. and i was kind of slurring a little bit and i don't think anyone heard it but me but even that time, I was like, no, that's too bad. Yeah. I don't mind. Like, I'll, I'm always drinking when I do comedy. And uh, I might be a little high, too. But I, I, I never want to be at a point to where I can't drive this shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah, have to yeah. I have to be in, like, I don't, I like to be, I'll drink a little bit, maybe smoke some weed. So I'm like, I can be a little bit more relaxed. Mm-hmm. But I have to be in control because there's no yeah. way it's gonna be nothing you do when you fucked up when you fucked up is gonna be as good as it is when you're not. You no, know? yeah, that's what. Yeah, like what I was, I was saying earlier is it, if you think it's you're coming off better when you're almost blackout drunk, like you seem crazy. Yeah. Um. Actually, one of the <clears throat> one of the nights like before I quit drinking was a comedy night, and I remember. Like the next day, just feeling so like I, I cheated myself out of so much all in one night. Yeah. Um. It it was actually one of the first showcases I did. It was wait what, and um Isaac, mm-hmm. uh does that show with Jeffrey. Yeah. They mm-hmm. do it together, and I had never met either of them before. And the the whole spirit of the show is it's a drinking game for the audience. Right. Yeah. But I was like, I'm gonna, I'm here, you know, <laughs> let's do this shit. And I got so drunk so quick mm-hmm. and I was too drunk on stage. I didn't have a good set. And then also, you know, one of the things I value is hanging after mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm, I 
I'm too drunk to be here anymore. Yeah. So I had to leave and it, it sucked because I looked forward to meeting those guys and mm-hmm. I wanted to hang and, and mingle with them more. And, you know, I've gotten to hang out with Isaac a few times since then, which has been yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. But I look back at that and I'm like, I'm jipping myself out of like every part of that night was I didn't have a good set because yeah. I wasn't in the right mindset and I didn't get the hang afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what am I what yeah, it's everything doing? you're doing comedy for. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went home and I, this is just stupid. This is not part of the comedy <laughs> thing. I remember I went on DoorDash. That was a very bad problem I had when I was drunk. Yeah, it comes up a lot. Because it, it's, you know, you're right about what yeah. you know. I had like genuinely, I would get drunk and mm-hmm. then get like it's midnight and i'm like i should get hibachi like lobster tails like treat myself you know (laughs) um and i but that night i went on doordash and i chili's was like the only place open um and i i remember you're like you like that (laughs) i spent like probably 30 minutes Mm just orchestrating my order Um, going (laughs) through i was like i'm gonna get this appetizer with Mm. the southwest egg rolls and maybe i want Mm. avocado ranch and regular ranch and uh i'm gonna get a corn on the cob Mm -hmm. and a hamburger and some ribs yeah and uh i just i I spent so much i got so much i was like this is gonna be crazy and (laughs) it's like (laughs) twenty (laughs) three (laughs) hundred dollars And I remember probably for like a $50 spot or something. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. yeah. You can finance your DoorDash. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, here's the, fu- here's the best part. Mm-hmm. I spent so much time on this. And then like I ordered it and hours went by like two hours. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they must just be busy whatever. And I'm like drunk. I'm like fighting to stay away. I'm like, uh. yeah. and finally the DoorDash driver gets there and I open the door and he hands me like a small bag, like a very tiny bag. And he's just laughing at me. He's like, there you go. And I was like, all right. And I grab it. And there's just one corn on the cob in there, like a solo corn on the cob. Uh-huh. And that was all I ordered. <laughs> oh my God, that's horrible, dude. <laughs> like I spent so much time scrolling Modified you forgot things. to like put the shit in. I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah. I didn't hit submit or something. And I just never put it together. And yeah, I just ate a cold corn on the cob. And that was how I wrapped up my uh, night. Yeah, that Not door, hanging that with door the door down driver was probably high too. Yeah. <laughs> so funny for him. Yeah. yeah, he was like, Are you a fucking idiot? It's midnight. Here's your corn on the cob that you door dashed. <laughs> I remember telling my friend that story. He was like, did you eat the corn on the cob? And I was like, yeah. Of course. Like, what am I going to do with it? I put, I put fucking Tony's on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, I had my solo corn on the cob. Mm. We were coming home from a gig this week. And it was a gig where John Merrifield had headlined. And so we were all driving home having a good time. And John was talking about something that, that I found interesting. He was talking about wanting... Maybe you can help me remember what he was saying. He was saying something along the lines of wanting. Um, he said, like, my life has been kind of fucked up and I want to say fucked up things about it. And he was expressing some level of concern about needing to think about the way that he looks and the way that he presents himself on stage when he's saying stuff that's really fucked up. Because if you're saying something 
that's not in, that's like incongruent with the way that you are re- being received by people that's just not going to work. What yeah. do you think he meant? Because I'm going to ask him, you know, but what do, what did that mean to you? What do you think he might have meant by that? Can, and if I getting any of it wrong, if you could just correct me. So I remember we were talking about <clears throat> Zach Reinhardt was just here and Zach has a very similar style to John. And they both have that in common with Anthony Jeselnik. Mm -hmm. And that style of comedy is Mm one-liners and it's very dark. And the point that John was making was one of what he felt is a strength that Zach has is not being, um, you know, he's, he's just like, looks like a normal dude. Right. As opposed to Anthony Jeselnik, who is extremely handsome. He's Mm -hmm. a very good looking guy. And John said he felt like he was kind of in between. Right. John, John looks like he was part of Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and he very well may have been. Right? Yeah, he probably yeah, he was. was. There. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I think, uh, and maybe I'm misrepresenting what he was saying, but I think he was just saying um, you have to have a certain awareness of who you are and what you look like when you make certain jokes, because you don't want to be the guy that's like very uh, attractive Mm -hmm. and in good shape on stage talking about like how ugly you are or how Mm -hmm. hard it is to be like, you know, it's, it's tough to be me and you're the, you're the hot guy in the room. Right. Yeah. Which he is not. Right. <laughs> John's a handsome guy. I was going to say, John's pretty handsome. Yeah, I think, I think Sloan went back in his, uh, in his, uh, yeah, Facebook maybe. history and found some old picture of him being a total yeah, smoke handsome, show. But he's not the hottest guy in the room. Well, it, it actually did I mean, not when you're in the room. <laughs> that's, that's actually what I was getting at. Yeah. Drew's like, he's a five yeah. in any room I'm standing yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I tried to respond in the moment to that conversation, and I've been feeling weird about what I said ever since. And then also, um, the last person that we recorded before you was Isaac, and it was uh-huh. a nice long episode. And he ended up saying some stuff on the pod that I went back to him privately and tried to have like a more extended conversation with him about. But there was the whole time that I was trying to have this conversation with him, I was trying to skirt around the thing that I was really trying to say. So everything that I said to Isaac ended up coming. I think it came out bad on the podcast, which you'll hear. And then also in the, in the conversation that we were having privately. Uh, so sorry, Isaac, but, um, <laughs> but, but what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, and I, and I'm just, there's some stuff, there's some changes coming up with the podcast that we're going to announce later. Um, and so I can't really get into all of that right now. Um, but all of this all kind of centers around this one thing that I think about a lot, which is that I don't know how I come across to people. I only know some of the feedback that I get from you guys and every once in a while, maybe from an audience member. But for the most part, I'm kind of unaware of, of how I come across. I don't really know what I look like to other people, only only what I see in the mirror. And all that actually really is. Do you ever do you watch yourself on video and you're like, well, I didn't know I really looked like that. Oh, yeah. All the time. Yeah. It's jarring. Right. Mm. And so beyond just looks, it's also how you come across and I think that when somebody says it doesn't matter what you look like as a comedian, I think they're right 
in what they're trying to say. But unfortunately, when you say it that way, you're skipping over one of the most important nuanced parts of it, which is you don't have to be good looking to be wildly successful mm-hmm. at comedy. Sure. Yeah, yeah. The, it's the simplified version. Yeah, it's true, of yeah. course. But yeah, nothing is that like black and white. Yeah. Right. You, no matter whether you're wherever you fall on the spectrum of attractiveness or or, or traditionally just quote unquote normal looking, whatever that means, um, you have to be aware of how you look and come across because your jokes in my opinion, I don't know, I could be totally wrong. It seemed like they would have to be somewhat tailored to the way that you come across mm-hmm. when you're on stage. Mm-hmm. If there's any con- incongruency there, it's going it, to there's going to be like a weird yeah. tension. They might not even be able to explain it why. Could, yeah, it can make it unbelievable, offensive, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or there's a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, it has more to do with with um what you're um like the um authenticity i guess of what you're saying right. or like if it's really true to you you know yeah and i'm gonna go out on a limb and just assume because you and i i feel have a lot in common especially mm-hmm. with how we view ourselves right and i think you probably feel similar to me but i i know that i am not ugly and i know that i'm not fat anymore mm-hmm. but i definitely feel that way all the time about myself but people don't know that and people when they see me on stage don't know that Mm -hmm. i always struggled with being bigger Mm -hmm. and that i'm very self-conscious and that i'm very self-deprecating so when i would say something like uh i'm trying to think of an example but like i went to subway because i'm an athlete right I said that when I was fat because it's <laughs> funny because I'm fat. Right. And you're clearly, clearly not an yeah, athlete. Yeah, because now you kind of are an athlete a little bit. Yeah. Like you run and you run and, and shit like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now I kept, I was, I, I stopped now, but I kept doing that joke even when I got into good yeah, shape. It's pretty recently. Pretty recently. Yeah. yeah. And I just, no one was laughing. And I was like, I don't know why that's not funny anymore. Mm-hmm. And someone was like, cause you don't, you're in, you're in good shape now. So you just seem like an asshole when you say that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like you just seem like a fucking yeah. douche. I'm not a fat fuck like y'all, yeah. like the rest of you. Yeah. 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 Instead of you coming off as self deprecating cause of the way you look now, it sounds like you're bragging about looking like you're athletic. And yeah, I'm like, right. There's oh. no irony in it from their yeah, perspective. And it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't work with the other stuff you're saying. Because you're kind of, you're shitting on yourself in other ways that kind of can still apply because it doesn't have to do with how you look. They just kind of take your word where it's like, um, but it was like a subway gas station combo. I passed a standalone subway, but I wasn't dressed for that. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't work for you to also throw in when an in-shape dude to be like, because I'm an athlete. Yeah, yeah. You go from I'm better than you to... I'm too trashy to go to Subway. Yeah. Yeah. And I've tried to think of a way to to combine those worlds. I'm trying to think about that more now. Because mm-hmm. my, as you know, my brother and I were talking about it. And, um, you know, without, without getting into the joke, because it's not really the point I'm trying to make. But I have a joke about, like, my childhood and about my parents specifically. Like, multiple jokes about them. And I just decided recently I don't want to do any of those anymore. I felt like when I wrote them, it was a good 
exercise and I was figuring out joke mechanics and they were the first things that worked on stage. But now I feel like I don't like saying them. And it's, it's the same as we were saying earlier. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't feel like that, you know, depressed, bitter person anymore. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I go to that and my set, it doesn't fit Mm -hmm. because it's not how I feel now. Yeah. So I was explaining to him, I was like, I should, I should try to dig deeper into, into things about me. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's good. Right. Yeah. And he was like, you should talk about being fat. Like how you used to be <laughs> fat. And I was like, why? Yeah. And he was like, well, you're not fat now. Right. And I was like, that's true. And he was like, okay, but you were fat. Like your whole childhood and teenage years and young adulthood and recent adulthood. And I was like, yeah, that's true, too. He's like, so you don't think you have like a unique take on that? He's like, you don't think that's like something you could dig into? And I, and I realized it's the reason I don't is because I don't I haven't recognized that I'm not that person still. Right. You know, so new. Yeah, yeah. It, do, it does. I think that does stay with you, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm, for yeah. sure. It does like the the this is I mean. This is mostly a joke because this is going to be a real misogynistic thing I'm saying here. But wink, wink. Mostly yeah. a joke. <laughs> but, but I remember, like, you guys can't see, but Drew is wearing a uh, a collared shirt that is fully camouflaged right now. <laughs> yeah. And it matches his camouflage John Deere hat. What were you saying about misogynistic jokes? <laughs> yeah. But there was, a, well, there was always a joke between, like, me and my friends. Like, I would joke about, like, tell this to younger guys, you know, where it's like, we're talking about like, oh yeah, you get the perfect woman. Like we're more talking about women like women like as things. Yeah. Which I mean, that's the joke. You know, we're we're being ironical about it. And I'll say, like, you have to get like don't go after a hot chick that's always been hot. Mm. Go after the hot chick that used to be fat or used to be the ugly duckling. Mm. Because it's it's easier to lose weight than it is to um repro to to retrain your mind yeah so a hot chick that used to be fat will always be a fat chick in her mind Mm. so you're gonna get a chick that's gonna kind of maybe uh not be too sassy you know Mm. what i mean kind of she'll she'll still feel like you know she has to um compensate in other ways so you get the best of both worlds (laughs) yeah yeah well yeah you get a hot chick who's like you know, she's over affectionate and ever, and she's going to like kind of wait on you and do all the things she used to do to make up for being a fat chick or an ugly chick. She'll still do those things. Yeah. That's, know? that's the, that's kind of the clutch thing about being like an ugly fat kid is like my personality blossom from that 100%. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, yeah, you're not, you're not, well, you're probably a nice guy because of it. Yeah. And also I felt like, when I was a kid, like at a young age, I started to realize that I was funny and I could make people laugh. And I was it was, it was almost like, let me be the funny kid. I don't want to be the, like the fat, ugly kid. I want to be the funny kid. So right. when they think about me, they think about laughing. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I feel like that helped cultivate like, you know how I feel about comedy and the relationship I have with making people laugh and the good feeling that that gives me. Um, but 
Yeah. I mean, hey, I'm grateful for that stuff. Like, I don't look back at my life and and feel bad uh, because it's the cliche thing. You know, it makes you who you Mm -hmm. are now. Yeah. Um, But I do need to figure out how to, like, be more in the moment Mm because I do still have hang ups about stuff like that, about how I see myself, you know? Yeah. You know, when you said that you wanted to kind of distance yourself, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but sort of maybe distance yourself from some of the more dark stuff about your parents. That didn't surprise me at all because I'm starting to see this other Joshua emerging Mm -hmm. and your materials changing and it doesn't necessarily just making a snap judgment. It just doesn't, my gut tells me it doesn't really jive with the direction that you're going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that with my, so the last few showcases that I did that were 10 minute sets was all new jokes, except for one old one about my parents and the subway. I just do that one. Cause I think it's funny, but, <laughs> uh, I just notice the more I write now, it it has no place in my voice. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, like the more you do, the more you find your voice on stage. And mm-hmm. you you and y'all were talking about that with Chase, right? He was like, mm-hmm. it should come off the way you would have a conversation with someone. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's what my new material is. Mm-hmm. And so when I have that, uh, where it's dark and also, you know, there's like a bitterness to it and it's not even really a well thought out thing to say uh, i i just want to get away from stuff like that mm-hmm. i want to be more me yeah because mm-hmm. if it doesn't fit yeah it'd be weird like if uh like say if you've got someone that's like uh like like a comedian just does um like real light happy kind of tame material fun silly mm-hmm. and like say they put out a special and it's an hour of this but in that hour there's like a couple bits like maybe two or three bits that are just like real dark and edgy like it would be like what the fuck is that you know what i mean yeah, like it yeah. wouldn't yeah it would be weird it wouldn't fit yeah it's like you you don't expect uh people who have the like our Nate Bargatze or Gabriel Iglesias like if they had like four minutes in their hour special where it was just like off the rails bitter and they were negative yeah. you'd be like yo this is not the show I came yeah, to see yeah, or even if they, yeah, I they thought just, you were fluffy what the fuck yeah, yeah. It's or even brand. if they just like start talking about cum for a few minutes yeah. you're like oh Nate let's... yeah <laughs> easy dude yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get more, uh, I'm leaning into the direction I'm moving in now. Trying mm-hmm. to write more, trying to figure more stuff out. And little by little, I'm I'm going to replace those things. Mm-hmm. What's your comfort zone in terms of how much time that you think is your, like, ideal amount of time to do on a set right now? My ideal amount of time would be 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. but I can do 20 or 25. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can do 20 or 25 just because I have a five minute story like that. uh, The fix a flat story you guys have both heard. So it's like I can I can put that at the end of a bit. But I I would say I'm comfortable doing 15 and being pretty confident about Mm -hmm. all the material. Yeah. Um. 10 for sure. I think right. I have 10 solid minutes that mm-hmm. I can do anywhere. Um, 
but I wouldn't. If someone was like, could you do 30? I'd be like, fuck no. Because if I do 25, I'm like, I got nothing left unless you want me to just yeah. babble. Joshua, you were our first ever guest on the podcast, as everybody knows. Uh, and so we never really got a chance to ask you the question. And that is, um, you know, we like to wrap up each episode with a hypothetical question for our guest, as you know. So a question that will hopefully illuminate what in your life rivals stand up in importance and meaning. Mm-hmm. I've thought about what I might trade in my life to get where I want to be as a comic. And it, it did occur to me at one point that I would give up my sex life for comedy. Like I would never have sex with another person again if for the rest of my life. If in exchange for that, all my comedy dreams would come true exactly the way I wanted them to. So if you had to make a deal with the devil to give up something very costly so that all your comedy dreams would come true exactly the way you wanted them to, what might that be? I'm going to be completely honest. I mm. have heard you ask this question mm-hmm. and it's not that it. I think you worded it perfectly. I just think I'm stupid. You're asking me to say something that I think is very important to me that I would give up. Yes. I don't think there's anything that I wouldn't. Honestly, like mm. that might sound kind of crazy, but if I pictured like comedy going exactly how i want it and all of my dreams coming true i uh, take take what you need you know take my Mm -hmm. legs i'll be i I don't need those take my arms um teeth the teeth my teeth oh see teeth would be a great one (laughs) that would be hard Because I'm already pretty insecure i don't think i you know when you see someone with no teeth you're like you're really you're your confidence you're a piece of is shit. impressive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, know, you, you judge them like that. Like, you're, you're a like, piece you, of shit. You are smiling, yeah. unfortunately. But like, you know, <laughs> you seem to be stronger than me because I don't think I could leave my house without teeth. Yeah. Um. Well, so the, the teeth thing right off the bat, I would say, is interesting because are you saying it would be hard? You would, you're saying you would give up your teeth knowing that you would just replace them with like dentures? Or you're saying that if you could somehow still succeed with with everything that you want in comedy and you just wouldn't have teeth at yeah, all. Because it would, yeah, 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 I think that's it. I think that's it, though, because it would be cheating. It would be cheating if you had to put... If you're like, I'll give up my teeth, but then you just put fake teeth that were better than the teeth you had. Right. But, but yeah, part of it is, is that the thing you give up can't affect... Like, you would get everything right. you want. So, uh, But other than comedy... Everything else about your life would be so much harder if you didn't have teeth. You yeah. know how hard it would be like to find someone to settle down with with no teeth? Well, there'd be one advantage, but other than that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I uh I I laugh so hard cuz I think it's funny. I had not even considered that you can get dentures like <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Once they're gone, I'm not a shark. Once they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that would be the most challenging thing, um, because I'm very insecure about my teeth for sure. Like I have, uh, I go to the dentist a lot because I have just a fear of losing them. Right. So I think genuinely that would be a tough, but, and then I have like, it'd have to be a thing. 
I'd be the toothless comedian. Mm-hmm. Cause you can, I'm not going to not bring it up. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can pull it off. <laughs> like well, you, you just like don't acknowledge it. <laughs> that would be, that, that would I'd be have to do, like my lips would have to stay really. I, maybe I could do like a ventriloquism thing. So I can't get dentures. I can't get veneers right. in this scenario. Yeah. yeah. What if they're really like the shitty, like Steve Harvey would like if I get like really big obnoxious ones. Well, I think that would certainly help uh, <laughs> just with the comedy thing, you know. Um, but if you but so I guess what you're saying, just to be really clear, is that if when you think about one of the things that would be like the most difficult thing that you would trade for comedy, the teeth you would trade just you would basically just go from having teeth to just not having teeth. And it, and you would even do it even if you couldn't get dentures or, or do any workarounds and you just had to be the guy with no because it would completely change like everything. It would change your facial profile. It would change um, the way that you come across. You'd have to like write whole new material, you know, around <laughs> it. And of course, I don't yeah, want to break I can't my talk own about rules. going to Subway because people <laughs> yeah. will be like, all right, buddy, what'd you get? <laughs> more like Smoothie King, huh? Yeah, more like. Andy's custard. I'd be so skinny though. I went on a Tinder date with a woman with no teeth once. What? Really? Was she just rocking the no teeth? Like, yeah, I didn't know. Did she catfish? Yeah, because she did not look nearly like she did in the pictures. Mm -hmm. It was bad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it just so happened. Like we went to this Mexican restaurant and it just so happens. Like I I just start seeing people all kind of like people I know walking in Mm -hmm. like, fuck, how many times do I, I come, I've come to this place and never seen, right. and I just kept like hiding from people. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, okay. Let me answer your, let me answer your question. Oh, f- because I cannot genuinely think of anything that I wouldn't give. I mean, teeth was a pretty good fucking answer, dude. Yeah. Well, well because <laughs> I have to make it something uh, like that. It has to be like my teeth or something like that. Cause yeah. I can't think of anything well, that I do in my life that is, would be as good as you're at a different part of your life than us. Also, yeah. you're a younger guy. You're not married. You don't have any kids. Yeah. You're kind you're at a great place where comedy can be the the central part of your life. You yeah, know? exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause I, yeah. Teeth. I'm challenging yeah. myself. It's a really good answer. Thank you. You know, we've had a couple people come in um, and I don't want to I don't want to spoil some of the answers that they're by the time anybody hears this, they're going to have already heard all that other stuff, though, right? Should, so, yeah. We've had some people come in and answer this question and they've said that they like their life the way that it is now. And as much as they love comedy I mean, it's happened more than once recently where they've said, basically, I wouldn't really want to give anything up. I think Joey might have said something along those lines mm-hmm. and Isaac said something along those lines um, where they're like, no, I mean, comedy kind of like takes its rightful place in my life right now. And I don't think they're really there's nothing that I would have in my life that's not so essential uh, that I that I would just give it up so mm. that comedy I mean that's kind of where place. I am I, I have a really hard time answering that que- coming up with anything for that question yeah yeah and I almost feel uh, like 
I feel like it's all I really want right now is my mindset. Like when mm-hmm. I look at my future, ideally, I just want it to be success with comedy. Um, that's why it's hard for me to answer the question because I don't like Drew said, like I don't have a, a family. I don't have mm-hmm. kids. It's I, like the it's like the opposite of me. Yeah, I can't think of any because I have things that I have things that I would not do comedy mm-hmm. if I had to. Right, as much right. as I love it, because I have some things that are just too important. Yeah. You're the opposite. You don't have anything important enough that it would either even be a question. That's the thing, and which is yeah. nor- which is perfectly fine and normal for a man your age. Yeah, you know? my whole life is just waiting to do like probably. Comedy. Probably the hard. I would think for you, I think the most difficult thing would probably be like your friendships. Maybe. Sure, that yeah, would probably yeah, yeah. be because if you think about that, if you could have all the success, I'm not trying to tell you what your answer is, but mm-hmm. I'm just putting myself in your situation. I would think that would be the thing that maybe well, you couldn't give up, or at least would be hard to give up. Yeah. I mean, think about if you you could have whatever you want in comedy, but you're fucking all alone. Right, that's true. that would suck pretty bad, yeah, yeah, and it would take out a lot of the fun of comedy Mm. and six because that's a lot of what's so fun about comedy is like, yeah, it's fun to make strangers laugh and you get that that good feeling, Mm. but there's a whole there's you know, it's you've got friends in comedy and then the people who are important to you in your life, you share it with them and like anything else, you know? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking in those terms. There's definitely people in my life who I wouldn't trade yeah. or that like would, my, like, my brothers, yeah. like, of like course. that would probably be the thing that you wouldn't give up for comedy. Yeah. Right? But sure. we still don't know what's the thing that you would, but you'd have to be like, mm, I don't know. There yeah. might not be anything. Except the teeth. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think we should go back to teeth. I think besides your penis, that's probably the best. I think only because that's the only I was like, I got to really make it sound like a sacrifice, you know? Yeah. Because I'm like, what what else am I going to? I can't go to. I don't know. I can't think of anything. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when, when Drew was saying that about where you're at in your life and how it makes sense for comedy to take that big of a, of a spot. Um, some of the other people that have given some of those answers where they're like, I wouldn't trade or whatever, uh, anything, uh, or even when I think back over all the people that have answered this question, comedy is not really, it's not like, it's not like comedy is like some sort of, um, uh, perfect ruler by which everything else can be judged because it's going to mean it just doesn't mean the same thing to every guest we've ever had of course some people are part-time doing it they don't they don't even get up on a weekly basis to you know to hit the mics and some people like you are moving to go advance their comedy career specifically and only for that reason so yeah yeah man it's um it's it's such an interest i just that's why we like asking the question yeah we just feel like we learn so much about yeah Um, so let's get your socials and your dates out there. Um, okay. Instagram is Joshua Jordan with three underscores. Cause there's apparently a lot of Joshua Jordan's Facebook. Uh, it's my full name, Joshua Jordan, the Riviere. You can follow me on there. I don't have a Twitter or it's X now. I don't have that. Uh, TikTok is Joshua Jordan. Although I don't really post much on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's it. 
And then dates coming up. Um, I'm kind of wrapping up a lot because I'm moving to Houston soon. But coming up, um, uh, these will probably all be done by the time this airs. Might be, yeah. If not... You can just uh, flex on the people, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's <clears throat> uh, so, so many to keep track of. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll be in Lake Charles this Friday. I'm hosting Crying Eagle. Uh, yeah. LOL at Crying Eagle with Jacob Gidry, Lake Charles Comedy. Doing You Look Like the Comedy Roast Battle at Club 337, September 1st. September 8th, I will be back in town three days after I move. I am going to be on Stone versus Drunk versus Sober. Um, I'm not on a team. I'm just returning because me and John Reynolds won last time. And then once I get settled in Houston, we'll see. Mm. But uh, that's going to be the last few shows I have here in Lafayette before I'm on my merry little way. Oh, and I'm doing the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> comedy. Shout out to Maggie. Mm. I'm closing out the yeah comedy open mm. mic uh, like two weeks from now. Very cool. Well, I'll be honest. I don't really want this recording to end. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's sentimental, man. Um, but all good things must come to an end. So I just want to say uh, on behalf of the Lafayette comedy scene, which I'm sure they're all tell you themselves individually, but uh, we're going to miss you and uh, we wish you all the best and we can't wait to have you come back. I'm sure you're going to have lots of opportunities to come back and, and do cool stuff. And you'll be big time in us from, from Houston. <laughs> I'm so sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll be name dropping and shit. I feel like, yeah, I did a spot at Bucky's. I don't know if you guys have <laughs> heard of that. I don't think I told you guys Morgan texted me uh, the other yeah. night. He's like, I just want you to know Mark Norman doesn't like people that live in Houston. Yeah, he was standing next to me when he texted you that. I said uh, I was going to send him a Bucky's gift basket to smooth things over. But yeah, genuinely, I love you guys. Um, I am so grateful to have started comedy in Lafayette, Louisiana. I don't know how it would have gone had I done it anywhere else or with anyone else. Um, Jason Leonard being at my first open mic and taking me under his wing from the beginning helped me tremendously. It gave me so much confidence uh, everyone like Tyler R. Snow, Maggie, so many people who our comedy scene is so great about bringing people up um, as far as confidence, support, encouragement. There's no jealousy. There's no bitterness. This is a great scene. And um, I genuinely think, you know, I started comedy later than I wanted to in life, but I think it was the right time because I'm around all you great guys and uh, you, you make it fun. You make it awesome. So I'll definitely be back to visit. Hell yeah. You guys keep plugging away at it, and we'll see you next week. Yeah. I'll still have my teeth.